The ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Raleigh Sussex. Raleigh is, of course, Emeritus Professor of Applied Language Studies at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. Hello, Raleigh. How's your week been? A flat out, thank you, uh, with more and more research projects, but uh, I've been, been having a lot of fun with pronunciation problems in Australian English. Okay. And that's what I want to talk about today because we get quite a few calls from listeners saying, look, I heard this and it was absolutely terrible. How can they possibly think this? And more often than not, this is one of the cases where there are alternative ways of saying things in Australia and we're not quite sure what the right one is. And there are hundreds and possibly thousands of these. Um, now, there are some things that are downright mistakes. I, I had a friend from Hong Kong who maintained that it was vegetables. And he said, look, you've got edibles, so you've got vegetables. I said, well, no, it doesn't work like that. But, uh, you know, there, there are quite a few cases with Americanisms, say, do you say mandatory or mandatory, ceremony or ceremony? And some people are picking up on the ceremony, which is American. And others say, I will never, ever say that. But there's a, there's a lot of tension in there. What do you say, Rolly? Oh, I, I say ceremony, mandatory and secretary. But that's partly because I'm a bit stuffy and partly because of my age. I grew up when uh, we were taught that these Americanisms were recognised but not used. And in fact, in 2000 at the Olympics, there was an edict that Australian broadcasters should say ceremony, but NBC in the next next booth was saying ceremony, and we've been confused ever since. But I've got lots and lots of interesting examples, because very often things that are supposed to be wrong are in fact simplifications, and the simplifications can happen to people like you and me if we're going fast enough. For instance, February. Now... There's a particular problem with R in English because the R, as we make it, is called retroflex. It's made with your, the tip of your tongue turned up and back. R, R, R. And you don't find that, say, in Italian, which is prego, and you don't sound it in French, which is a R back in the back of the mouth. And February, you've got to get your tongue into the R position for February, and then you've got to get it back again for the re, and that's hard. So most people would say something like February, February, getting rid of one of the hours entirely library loses a syllable library uh, terrorism often terrorism uh, and george w bush said terrorism and the one which i'm i must admit gets gets up my nose is respiratory as respiratory uh, and this is doing two things the respiratory thing is american but respiratory Tree. You can see you've got to get your tongue back into position for the R in successive syllables. And it's not easy. But respiratory is not, not too difficult. But Raleigh, do you think we're making it hard on ourselves? Well, it depends on how closely you want to hold to the uh, what people, what some people regard as being the norms of English. Uh, and I think in, in the case of respiratory, if you listen to people saying that, around you, probably you'll hear respiratory more than you hear respiratory. Now, I've got lots more examples, some of which we have had before on the program, say vulnerable, coming out as vulnerable, 
All right, you've got two, two consonants together in the middle of a word. The first one often falls out. There's a football club in, a, in a Melbourne called Essendon, and a lot of people say just Essendon. So N-D, you get rid of the N, Essendon. Uh, on the other hand, candidate, there you get rid of the D, it comes out as candidate. And I'm afraid over the next months as the election approaches, we are going to be hearing a great deal of candidates in one place or another. So are we making it more difficult for ourselves? Well, do you want to say diphtheria or diphtheria? Because it is P-H-T-H. And so it should be diphtheria. And it should be an anesthetist rather than as an anesthetist. And yet, you know, you, you do feel sympathetic for people, particularly in front of a microphone, particularly in a hurry, because you can't, sometimes the tongue just can't keep up with brain. <laughs> Sometimes the so brain right. can't keep up with tongue. <laughs> no, that's more worrying as well, isn't it? Lots of calls coming in, Rolly. But okay, let's do it. Okay, so Mike at Cannon Hill, what did you want to check in with Rolly about? Uh, good morning, Emma. Good morning, Rolly. Morning. Just a, a quick one in regards to ownership of a title. Uh, I, I might be incorrect in saying that, in a, but the example I have is Captain Cook discovered Australia and his ship was the HMI, HMS Endeavour. Mm -hmm. I was always led to believe that it was Lieutenant James Cook that discovered Australia and his ship was the Endeavour, and Captain uh, Cook's ship was the Resolution. You're a historian, historical pedant, and I'm almost certain you're right. Um, certainly when he first got to Australia, he, he was not yet captain. I think that followed later on. Um, we do tend to talk about people with the most senior title that they've achieved. So, for example, I did my PhD and I was doctor and then I was promoted to professor. And, and so that, that kind of sticks, even though some of the things I did happened when I was just a doctor. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. There's a little bit of slippage here. And people, uh, I think, would, if you're being strictly historical, you'd be, be careful about the name of the, the name, sorry, the title that Cook had when he was in command of the Endeavour uh, discovering Australia. And nice it's also political, Rolly, isn't it? Because a lot of First Nations people will say, no, he did not discover anything. Ah, <laughs> that, that's another issue. Yeah, he, Well, of course he, he didn't. He found it for the white people, right? The Dutch had been here before. That's uh, right. A long time before. And the Indonesians in the north of Australia. And, uh, and of course, the, the indigenous people had got here somewhere around about 60,000 years ago, which wipes everybody else off the slate. Uh, but leave, leaving aside the, the discovery, um, I think Mike's got a point, uh, and it depends on how, how punctilious you're going to be about the historical record. Punctilious. Rose on the Sunshine Coast, are you going to be punctilious, Rose? Oh, good morning. Thank you for speaking with me. Um, I, have two, I have two questions now. My first one, very quickly, is research or research. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming okay. it's research. Okay, it was research, uh, but there is a tendency, and some of this is American, to put the stress on the first syllable and research um, cigarette, uh, Mindanao, Fiji, Azerbaijan, stressed on the first syllable. These are more common in America than they are here, although the Americans have both. And I have actually heard someone say research and research in the same sentence. The other... Uh, angle on this is that there used to be a difference between import and import. Import was the verb, so I'm going to import some things, and when I get them there, I will sell you my imports. But the difference between 
the first syllable and the second syllable is now getting lost. And I would certainly, the, the dictionaries, the Australian ones prefer research, but you'll hear research and most people have been so much exposed to it, they won't even jump. What's your other one, Rose? Okay, really quickly, this is the real one. How do I explain saying off of is incorrect? Uh, it sounds incorrect, I'm uncomfortable with it. Um, I just don't know what in language, what in grammar is the explanation mm. for not using the words off of I got off of the lounge mm -hmm. I got off okay. of the mm, towel yep. these, are, these are prepositions and normally you only want one preposition and so having two off of um, you know I took it off of him I, I can remember when I was at school the kids being told off by the teacher for mm -hmm. sloppy use and you really only need the first one um, but taking things off of the shelf I'm afraid is more more than common and uh, it, it, this again, there is an American pattern. You do not only beat someone, you beat someone, beat up someone, and you beat up on someone. So there is a tendency in the spoken language to have more than one. But you're you're quite right, um, mind you. When you say I have a quick question, I think this is likely to be something complicated, and it is. <laughs> do you think, Rolly, like that example you give, beat up or beat up on? Do they have slightly yes. different meanings? Oh yes, um, but only only very slight i think beat up on suggest you're um taking to someone with with fists or something um beat up can be a bit more general but again it's a it's a disagreeable idea and i prefer not to think about it <laughs> peter at the by gap the way, yes the what way, what um, you were talking to peter beaten about sarking yes sark is a dialectal word from england and i think north england and i think scotland and it used to mean a shirt so it's almost as if you're putting a shirt under your house when you're providing it with sarking. Isn't that lovely? And the tiles of the yeah. jumper. Where's That's my right. jumper? Um, yeah. It's it's fascinating what you uh, can tell us, Rolly Sussex. Seventeen my head minutes is full of bits. I love it. I love that. Uh, Seventeen minutes past ten on ABC Radio, Brisbane and Queensland. Emma Griffiths and Professor Rolly Sussex with you today. Peter at the Gap in Brisbane. Peter, what's your question? Oh, hello, uh, hello, Rolly. Uh, if I've been gallivanting, what am I doing, and mm. where is the word come from? Okay, gallivanting means um, going around from place to place looking for pleasure, um, and it probably comes from the word gallant. Uh, and a gallant used to be a um, an up, up I don't know an upstanding young fellow who was out for a good time. Uh, and so gallivant is is a, a contrived word. It's about early nineteenth century. And it, it means to behave like a gallant, but uh, definitely looking for a good party. Have you been doing much of that, Peter? No, but I heard <laughs> it on the radio. But I was just wondering, is it half French or half Italian or what? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, the, the word gallant, gallant itself is, is certainly French. And so derived words, they're following a French route, but ga there is no galivet in French that I'm aware of. So I think this is a, a pure English one. Um, the, the old French galant, by the way, used to mean um, to have fun, something like that. So gallant meaning um, showing good manners, you know, he was a very gallant gentleman, you know, he held the lady off with her coat sort of thing, is in fact an English accomplishment, which is, uh, I think, imitating French manners. Mm. Well, Rolly, you're very gallant. <laughs>
I would have to say. (laughs) Gerald at Mount Tambourine, what would you like to ask Rolly? Hi, good morning both. Um, Yeah, Rolly, you were talking last week about Shakespeare. Um, One of the often misquoted lines from Shakespeare is, all that glistens is not gold. Um, Yes, it should be glister. Yeah, glister. Yeah, which is is very clever because glister is, is a softer sound and gold doesn't glisten, diamonds glisten. You know, it's a very clever word, I think. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare was very subtle with these things. Uh, the trouble, of course, is that glister is no longer part of our language. It's, uh, it's, it's vanished in the mists of time, and glisten is a near miss. And, in fact, this is one of my other, um, uh, other examples of, of mistakes, where you've got two words that are a little bit close, and people sort of persist in using the wrong one. A bit like irrelevant and irreverent or remuneration and remuneration. Um, now, remuneration is what you get paid, and remuneration is counting things again, or calvary and cavalry, uh, and flounder and founder. Uh, very interesting that they're close enough to, to make problems. But you're quite, cl- you're quite um, correct, this one. It's a bit of Shakespeare, which I think is now almost irretrievably lost, unless you really know where the bard got it from. The bard. Mark in Toowoomba, are you being a bard? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to ask our bard? Wigs on the green. Where does it come from? And what, oh, I mean, wigs, I, as a is... kid, I always thought about it must have been like worms in your garden or something like that, you know? Uh, I, I suspect this is British wigs, the, the, the reforming political party wigs. Um, I'll have to check this one up because I honestly don't know and I haven't heard, of, heard it for a very, very long time. Yeah. Where did you hear it? I was just reading a book the other day, a history mm. book sort of thing, you know, and I, and I saw wigs and I, it just brought back that that saying, you know, oh, you know wigs on the green with that going on sort of thing. Yeah. You know? did, did they spell it W-H or W-I? W-H. They did, yeah. In that case, it's definitely the, um, the, the British political party. Yeah. And exactly how they came to be on the green, I'll find out for you. Thank you. And can, can I just, just ask, news, how was that created? Like, I mean, I was watching the TV the other night, you know, on mm. Channel 9, and it had the news was created by the North, South, East and West. Is that where it come from, sort of thing? No. No, it comes from what is new. And, uh, in fact, all of the, the, well, most of the European languages, for example, in French, it's les nouvelles, which is new things. In Russian, it's novosti, which are new things. So it is, it is new news, as it were. There we go, I'm, then. I'd yeah. to hear about wigs on the green. Yeah, well... Yeah, the, Rolly, was I think a novel somewhere, Nancy Mitford, someone like that. Yes, but I don't know whether she had an H or not. Well, Rob, producer, Rob, producer extraordinaire, oh, he um he's looked it up on the World Wide Words website. Wigs on the Green refers to a fight, brawl, or fracas, or to a difference of opinion that could lead to fisticuffs. And it is a novel by Nancy Mitford, first published in 1935, which was a merciless satire of British fascism. Ah. Did I say Okay, fracas? well, I've got the Nancy Mitford, but not the rest. Yeah, well, now we've got it. But if Ooh. I'm sure that you could add to it if you felt the need. Um, later on is fracas, is that how you say it? That'll do very nicely. Yeah, some yeah. people say fracas, but that's wrong. Fracas is, is French, and it, it means a noisy disturbance or a brawl or a quarrel or a Donnybrook, which is Irish. I love Donnybrook. Donnybrook on the green. Uh, <laughs> David uh, has called in from Tarragindi in Brisbane. Hello, David. Good morning, Emma. Good morning, Prof. Uh, morning. Look, our federal state... Oh, sorry, our federal capital... Um, could you pronounce it for us, please? 
we ah. hear about the Canberra bubble or the mm-hmm. Canberra bubble. Uh, and the other one that really gets me in the throat is um, on some of the commercial stations and even some of our politicians are now referring to Australia as Australia. Mm. Okay. Um, Canberra, it should be stressed on the first syllable, but interestingly, when it was created, no one was sure whether it was going to be Canberra or Canberra, and they had to wait for the Duke of York to come all the way from England to pronounce it, and then they followed him, and he said Canberra. Now, Canberra, N-B, you get something called assimilation when the N follows the, it becomes like the B being pronounced with both letters, which turns an N into an M. So you get Canberra in a shortened form. And again, you will hear occasionally the Americans tend to say Canberra, uh, and certainly the person who lives there is a Canberran. And that's a problem because when you've got two forms of a word with different stress, there's a bit of tension and often one of them will win out. The people who live there call it Canberra. But you're quite right about the Canberra bubble, uh, which, if it's said fast enough, is a Canberra, as it MBA, Canberra bubble. Well heard. Fantastic. And and Australia? Ah, Australia. This is le plus ye, which is two consonants, and the first one tends to fall out. So Australia... Um, there are a number of our politicians and a few people in the media who do that. Instead of Australia, it should be le ye. Mm. And again, the first syllable is, is getting lost at speed because it's not stressed. It's not Australia, but it's Australia. Uh, and if, you know, where are you going? I'm going to Australia next. If you take it fast enough, the first syllable does get lost. Mm. By the way, the Queen at the start of her reign used to say Australia. And she's now become a bit more middle class and says Australia. Oh, really? Is that a way to gauge, I suppose, if you do think about the Queen's English? We've got a good ah. long time to gauge what's happening with language with QE2, we do, haven't yes. we? Well, better than that, we've got a single person over more than 50 years. Um, and so we can actually listen to her Christmas messages uh, where she was referring to various bits of the Commonwealth, and we can actually plot how her accent has shifted slightly over time. Certainly the young princes uh, do not talk the, with the super upper-class English that the uh, the Queen used to have when she was younger, and it's uh, certainly the, the, the younger members of the royal family are now talking what is called estuary English, which is the English spoken in the Thames estuary, and unlike the sort of thing which you used to hear from the BBC. <laughs> Oh, Rowley. 25 past 10 on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. Emma Griffiths with you and Professor Rowley Sussex. And a couple more calls coming in. Kate at Mogul. What did you want to talk about? Uh, good morning. Well, speaking of Queens, but actually the previous one, I was wondering about the pronunciation of Queensland, which named in honour of her. I call it Queensland, but there's quite a few people who say Queensland mm-hmm. now. And I wondered... What you thought on this contentious issue? Okay, the, when um, most of the land places um, are Ireland, because the stress is elsewhere, and most people I think who live in Queensland say Queensland, but certainly folks from outside, it's a bit like in um, the film Rain Man. I'm going to Melbourne, where you give it even stress on both syllables. People from outside Queensland often say Queensland, and certainly from North America. Uh, so both are heard. The dictionaries are quite clear. Queensland is preferred. But the other one is certainly recognised and you will hear it quite frequently. 
And Rolly, um, you pointed out something that one of our famous tennis players said recently trying to use an Australian accent. He's a bit of uh, Djokovic. I don't know, mate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I felt... Uh, I w- <laughs> Good on ya. Uh, what else? Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. Um, and that's all. Uh. And that's all. Rolly, I love that. Cooey cobber. Cooey cobber, yeah. Uh, of course, mate, in the speech of some people, is more like might. You know. How might, you going, might. How you going, might. But uh, it is, these are the things which Ayn Djokovic is, is a, a speaker of a number of languages. And uh, it's interesting that he, he picked up on these, uh, these strinisms, as it were. And by the way, strine is another shortening of Australian. Yeah. Uh, ever since um, Alistair Morrison produced uh, um, the alphabet lord of things and let's talk strine, uh, we've been thinking about ourselves not only as Australian but also as strine. It's a kind of joke. I love it, though. I mean, we've got to have a oh, laugh yeah. at ourselves, haven't we? Yeah, but but the big thing about English in Australia is that there isn't any one English, and there even isn't any one right English. There are lots of them, and different people in different places. I mean, for example, Alexander Downer had a very um, upper-class Australian English, uh, accent. He was from South Australia, That's of very Adelaide, though, isn't it? Very Adelaide, yes. Bob Hawke was definitely not. Um, <laughs> You know, he was he was he was much more a person of the people in his vowels. He's very ACTU. Uh, yes, and and again, uh, he was actually quite flexible. So was Menzies, uh, a prime minister. He could talk when he was he was uh, tearing people limb from limb in the house. He was much more Australian than when he was reciting poetry to the Queen. <laughs> and and so a lot of us are quite good at modifying our language and our pronunciation depending on where we are and who we're talking to. Dean's called in from the Gold Coast. Dean, remember where you are and who you're talking to. Hello, Dean. Yeah. What's your question yeah. for Rolly? Good morning. How can, can you hear me okay? Yes. I, yes. Beautiful. Uh, I had a very interesting uh, discussion at work yesterday. Um, we were discussing the final art of this, uh, the word kebab or kebab. All right. So, yeah, I, I was uh, made fun of for the rest of the day being called Kebab Man. Um, so what would be the right uh, pronunciation? Okay, um, it's Kebab. Um, uh, usually Kebab, Kebab or Kebab, all three of those. Um, but the stress is on the second syllable. It comes from an Arabic word, Kebab. And that's come to us partly through Urdu, which is the language of Pakistan, and through Persian and through Turkish, all of which have kebabs. Oh, so no more kebab or kebab. No more kebab. Kebab, I'm afraid. Okay. Stress second on the second syllable. And thank goodness it did come to us too, Rolly. Hey, they're so oh, tasty. Yes. And yeah, the, the Australia has been immensely enriched in in terms of its of its eating by things from overseas and i think it, it one of the one of the features of us now is that you know you walk down a, a main street and, and you can find there'll be a vietnamese restaurant there'll be several chinese and thai and mongolian and, and uh, it, it, it's terrific i love it and just in a few moments i'll be loving what alison alexander is dishing up a recipe for you as well, Ratatouille this week. Oh. I know. Uh, a couple more callers and then it will be farewell. David in Toowoomba, what's your question? Oh, hi, Rolly. I'm just bringing to um, talk about the pronunciation of the word command. Um, I constantly hear it 
pronounced command these days. Mm-hmm. We've crept in from the United States. And I've even heard media say command and command in the same, virtually the same, uh-huh. the same story. Yep. Um, the R thing is is something which separates particularly the South Australians, but also careful, educated Australian English, where people will, will tend to favour command. Everywhere else says ah. And interestingly, um, in, everywhere in England except for the South East says command. The Americans and all of North America says, say, say command. So that the command one, which sounds a little bit careful and literary, uh, to some people, is in fact in a minority, but it's certainly uh, the uh, the prestige one in Britain, and that's followed by a lot of people. You can say either in Australia, Newcastle, Newcastle. Um, the people in New South Wales often say castle, but Newcastle, which is an interesting kind of bifurcation. That is, isn't it? And it comes with plant and plant and oh, dance yeah. and dance. Hundreds of them, yes. And you go to take, take someone to a dance, you wear a black suit. Uh, you know, if you're going to a dance, it might be a bit of a knees up. Knees up with a hot pink nylon number, Rolly. Doing the uh, disco. If, if you insist. <laughs> I do. Margot at Vic Point. Margot would insist too. What would you like to ask Rolly? Well, I'm not wearing hot pink, but I would like to know when somebody is interviewed, most yeah, on radio, afterwards they say, at the end of the interview, they say, thank you for having me. Mm. And I wonder, what went wrong in the green room? I mean, <laughs> it's such a odd sort of saying. It is, yes. Um, the green room, for those who don't know, comes from the BBC where they had a literally a green room where people would go to prepare before they went on air. And that's where we have a green room in, in uh, the ABC in Brisbane, and every ABC in the country does as well. But thank you for having me is, is what I was always taught when I was young, when I had been to someone's house, and, uh, you know, you'd been a guest. And I suppose the use on radio by the in, when said by the guest is actually, thank you for having me in your space, something like that. Isn't that what so you I, say to somebody if you've been visiting? Thanks right, for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. But, you know, you have had me on your program as a guest, and so I might say thank you for having me. I'm so but lucky that, to I do think, that as well. Yeah, but uh, you and I know each other well enough, and I've been there long enough, so probably just thank you will do. <laughs> well, before I say that, what is your final word, Rollstar? Okay. A clean house is the sign of a broken computer. <laughs> Possibly, or an assignment due. I'm afraid so, yes. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.